In this Campus Bible Study podcast, we'll be answering questions from Romans chapter 5. Hi, Carl. We've got some questions today. The first two are, what does Paul mean by those who did not sin before the law in verse 13? That's from Josh and Arts. And then in verse 14 as well, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, does this imply that there were people who didn't sin, said David in science? Okay, this is really important to uh, work this out because the Romans has been telling us that um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we actually need to see that that's everyone who's followed Adam. And so what verses 13 and 14 are saying is not that people didn't sin before the law. They're actually saying something a little bit different. Let me read to you again. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So can you see it's in verse 13, it's saying very clearly, sin was in the world before the law, but sin was not counted before the law. So the next question can follow on from this. Without the law, were people not aware of their sin in verse 13? That's from Catherine Business. Okay, so what's it mean to be counted in a sense as we're starting to explore? So we're starting to get closer to what the verses are actually saying. Adam and Eve are a good example here. Do you think Adam and Eve were not aware of their sin? Let me take you back to Genesis 3 for a moment. Um, from Reading from verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You don't get the feeling that Adam and Eve were unaware of their sin. So it can't be that that's going on. They were def- there was definitely an awareness that uh, they had sinned and that everything had changed. So, any more questions on this topic? Yeah, two more questions. Although sin existed, what does it mean for it not to be counted because there was no law? That's from Ivan in engineering. And then also, the idea of sin not being counted where there was no law has come up before. How, though, asked Ryan in science. Yeah, so before, let's be really clear, before the law was given, every human had still followed Adam into sin. But what does it mean that their sin was not like Adam's? That's, I think, what we need to get to. What is Adam's sin like? Why is Adam's sin unique? And I guess the way to work this out is, what does Romans 5 keep saying about Adam's sin? See, Adam's sin, in a sense, Romans 5 tells me, was the one sin that brought sin into the world and established sin in humanity from that point onwards. So Adam's sin was a unique first sin that brings sin into every person that follows him. So I think uh, verse 14 is uh, where it says their sin was not like Adam's sin. It's saying he had a unique sin bringing sin into the world, but all his descendants also sinned, um, not in that world-breaking kind of way, but just following Adam. Uh, Sin was in the world. And so what does the law do? That takes us back to 13, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What does the law do? The law counts sin. It quantifies sin. It shows the sinner their many failures. It, 
It reveals the ugly count of sin in every human that's ever lived. And this actually fits with what Romans has been teaching us about the law. Remember, Romans has been saying that the law was never intended to make anyone righteous. That's just our misunderstanding of the law. If we think that the law is a way of righteousness, it never was intended to be. It never could be. The law was given to show sinners the reality of their failure so that they might flee to God for righteousness by faith. Now, between Adam and the law coming through Moses, there was, there was a long period of time. And what we need to see is that every human in that long period of time followed Adam into sin. They still deserve God's punishment of death because of their sin. But there was no law to kind of fully reveal their many failures to honour God, to obey God. And so this is why I think the law is actually a good thing for God's people. The law is not a bad thing. It's a good thing for God's people. Not a good thing because it can bring righteousness. It can't. It's a good thing because it shows you your need and drives you to God as your only hope of being declared righteous. That's, that's really helpful, Carl. Um, we've had some other questions that uh, moved away from thinking about the law and sin, and more to our emotions. So these questions are as follows. Are emotions not God-given things? What place does emotions have in our life if they are not relied upon, in particular when thinking about our relationship with God? That's from Jess in Science. These were really helpful questions. There's a number of questions on feelings that we're going to work through. And part of the reason for these is that I was clearer in the Thursday talks on this subject than in the Tuesday talks. I spent a lot of time speaking about not measuring the closeness of your relationship with God based on your feelings and uh, tried to show how dangerous it was to, to measure the closeness of your relationship with God by how you're feeling. Now, I, I was more clear on that on Thursday, partly because of the questions that people gave me after the Tuesday talks. So I want to say thank you for the students who are writing these questions, because it really does help me to work out where I haven't been clear enough. Your questions really help me. And just wanted to say for those listening along at home that the podcast sermon you're listening to, or you listened to before this, was actually from the Thursday talk. So you might be wondering where these questions have come from. That's because I improved the talk a little bit after getting these questions. So let's just, let's clarify what I said in it. Let's try and summarize what I said in the talk. Emotions are good gifts from God. Emotions are not bad in themselves. They are good. It is good to have emotions, good to feel emotions, good to express emotions. They're good things. However, it is not good to think that your emotions are a good measure of your relationship with God. If you trust in Jesus, your relationship with God is secure. You are justified, reconciled, you are, as, you are united with God. You are as close to God as you could possibly get, all because of Jesus. And that is an ongoing reality for you when you are saved by Jesus. So don't ever think that that closeness to God is going to move in and out with your feelings. Your feelings, they're good gifts from God, but they are affected by way too many external things to be an accurate measure of your closeness to God. And so I want you to know your security with God, even when your feelings are not good. So for instance, you might get depressed, you might really start to, to feel bad. I want you to know that you are secure with God because you trust in Jesus. Um, life might go really, really hard for you. 
I want you to know if you're trusting in Jesus, you are, your relationship with God is completely secure. Um, I want you to have this security, and I, I think if you trust your feelings as a measure of your closeness to God, you'll be robbed of this security. So please don't let your feelings rob you of the security that Jesus gives you in salvation. It's very helpful uh, thinking about our emotions, but maybe uh, we can ask a question a bit differently. Does God have emotions? Thinking of God's jealousy, anger, joy, a broken heart. Are his feelings arbitrary? What should the role of feelings be? That's from Andrew in Medicine. Okay, God certainly has feelings, but God doesn't have sinful feelings or wrong feelings. God's feelings, even of things like jealousy and anger that we can read about in the Old Testament and in the New, they are good and right feelings. So there's a right jealousy that God has for his people. There's a right anger that God has uh, over sin. And that, that means God is different to you and me. See, when, when you and I are jealous and angry, well, sometimes, very rarely, it might be for good reasons and right reasons, but sometimes it's because, well, we are selfish and wrong. Um, and it's actually interesting. It's because God has feelings that the propitiation we learned about in Romans 3.25 is so important. See, God is rightly angry at human sin. Our sin is an affront to God. It ruins God's good world and it hurts the people that God loves. And so God is rightly angry at our sin. God should be angry at sin. Um, propitiation is God's anger being turned away from us and absorbed by Jesus on the cross. The death of Jesus doesn't just pay the penalty for our sin. The death of Jesus also deals with God's rightful anger at our sin. That's the beautiful propitiation that we have in Christ. We have one last question. How does our relationship with God differ from our human relationships, where emotions are a very good measure of the relationship's strength? That's from Harry in Engineering. Yeah, thanks, Harry. Um, I like your question, but I have to disagree with you. The premise in the second half of your question that emotions are a very good measure of the relationship's strength, even in human relationships, I'm just not, I, I can't see that. I don't agree with that. Even in human relationships, I don't think you should measure the relationship's strength by your feelings. Let me give you an example of my marriage. I've been married 25 years to Jenny, and sometimes I do things that make Jenny angry. And sometimes Jenny does things that make me angry. Now, if we let that emotion determine the relationship's strength, our marriage would be sometimes in trouble. Instead, we try to base our marriage on the promises we made on our wedding day. That's the for better, for worse stuff that we promised. And you've, you've seen that in weddings. Very important. Because the worst stuff comes. We actually... When it comes, Jenny and I want our marriage to still be secure even when we hurt each other or are angry at each other. So in a sense, we've chosen to base our marriage on our commitment to keeping our promises, not on how our emotions feel. And that actually gives us a great security in our marriage. I know that Jenny wants to stay committed to me even when I do things that hurt her or even when she's angry at me or even when I'm angry at her. And so I actually think that principle gives us a great security in even human relationships, doesn't it? And even uh, relationships beyond marriage, things like in a family or even like in a friendship. If you base your friendship on how you feel, the relationship is not going to be very secure and not very deep. 
Um, in your friendship, what happens when your friend lets you down? Do you ditch that friendship? Or are you able to kind of go beyond your feelings to even perhaps offer forgiveness? Or if you let your friend down, are you able to go beyond your feelings and repent and ask for forgiveness? So really beautiful, deep relationships go way beyond feelings that go up and down. Feelings are great, but I'm not sure they're a good measure of any relationship. And I think that's why repentance and forgiveness are so important in all relationships, because they enable us to overcome the hurts rather than just to be emotionally responsive to the hurts. Let me leave you, though, with the encouragement to emotionally enjoy your security in Christ. It's beautiful the way Paul speaks in Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Listen out for the encouragement for Christians to emotionally enjoy their security in Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The security Jesus gives is an opportunity for you to rejoice emotionally. Enjoy the security you have in Christ and keep persevering in him. Thanks for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on iTunes to automatically download our most recent podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Campus Bible Study, you can visit our website, campusbiblestudy.org.